Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day here in the capital city as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Lance Foreman. Lance is director of H. Foreman & Son, a smoked salmon business in Fish Island, London. Lance, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us today. Well, thank you very much for, for asking me. I'm delighted to be involved. It's a real pleasure having you join us as well. Now, um, the purpose of uh, this discussion, Lance, is to establish your take on leadership first and foremost. Mm-hmm. So exploring that word leader, for, firstly, I'm interested to understand what that word actually means to you and how it resonates on the whole. Um, I think leadership means a number of different things. Um, one of the things I, I certainly think it means is that you should always be prepared to say what you think, not what you're um, expecting, uh, you know, you, what, not what people expect you to say. So you should have the courage of your convictions and, and try and you know, carry people with you um, rather than just saying what's going to please everyone. Mm. Um, I think in terms of a sort of a business environment, it means looking after the people that you're responsible for, so making sure you take good care of your staff and, of course, good care of your customers and, indeed, your suppliers. You know, they're, they're partners uh, in the whole uh, enterprise, too. Um, it means giving direction. Um, and also, I think what's really important is leading by example um, and uh Sometimes that that's often missed. I think that there is no better form of leadership than being out there again in a business environment, you know, with your team and showing that you're prepared to do what you expect them to do. I think you know all, all those different things. So, if we think about leadership in the context of the day-to-day running of the uh, the H Foreman and Son business, would you say that yeah. that lead by example approach is very much the weight there, the, the one that you take? Absolutely right. And uh, in this recent COVID uh, crisis, you know, I, I have been here with my team from you know, first thing in the morning till the last, you know, last thing in the afternoon. And, you know, uh, Christmas time when we're very busy, I get down on the factory floor. And uh, even though I'm the CEO and owner of the business, I'm very happy to roll my sleeves up, get a knife and uh, start trimming the sides of smoked salmon and help packing uh literally just packing boxes with food um, for our customers with my team. And apart from the fact that it's actually, you know, it's, it's quite enjoyable to have a break from sitting at your office. The team love me being involved and showing that I'm not too sort of proud just to sort of, you know, sit in the distance sort of pointing my finger and giving orders that I, I'm very happy to get involved. And I'll tell you what, there's no better way to learn uh, about your business than to really get involved on the factory floor and, and you know, l- you know, learn what it is that your team are doing and the pressures they face and, uh, and the frustrations and also the good things. And sometimes when you do that, you know, it helps you actually generate new ideas on how you can improve things. So, um, you know, I, I'm very much one for, for you know, getting, you know, getting into the cut and thrust of it all. And that keyword learn is incredibly important because, as people, as employees, and also as business leaders, it's a constant process of learning. We're never a finished article, are we? And I can imagine that the challenges of adjusting to the uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and the challenges that that has brought with it has actually even maybe taught you quite a lot as a business leader, in a sense. 
Well, that's right. Uh, you never stop learning. You know, we, we've been in business for 115 years. You know, we're the, the oldest producer of smoked salmon now in the world. But you can never just, you know, rest on your laurels and assume that, you know, you've achieved that. No one can ever be a, you know, an older business than yours in in your field. And, and that's it. You know, you can hang up, hang up your clogs and it's all going to run smoothly. The world is ever changing, and um, you know life throws these curveballs at you. And uh, COVID is not the first uh, crisis that we've had to face as a business. Mm. And each one presents its own challenges, and each one presents learning opportunities. And you become stronger as a result of these things. Um, and you know, as I say, we, we've had uh, a number of different instances in the past. We've had a, you know, uh, I mean, aside from the fact that we've we've had to face two world wars, you know, going back early into the 20th century. In in the last 20 years, we've we've had a, a fire that burnt down three quarters of our factory. We rebuilt after the fire, only to find that the local river over flooded and we were suddenly a meter underwater. We then had to build another factory. We spent two years building it, only to find that within a year of moving in, we were told we had to move out because that's where they wanted to build the Olympic Stadium. And now, of course, COVID, I mean, you know, it's... Um, uh, say that life is, uh, you know, when it's never quite as straightforward as uh, as you hope. And uh, you know, if you if you ever for people that are starting off in business, um, and they're asked to, you know, draw up a business plan, uh, it's very rare that they throw a crisis into that business plan. But these mm. things just happen, and you've got to be flexible. And I suppose that this latest crisis is just one of a string of many that you've experienced them um, over the years. And for those tuning in. That, that experience is documented somewhere. You actually published a book on it, uh, didn't you, if I'm right in saying that, Lance? I did. I wrote a book called Foreman's Games, uh, which pre- pre- predominantly features you know, the, 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 the difficulties we faced around the time of the Olympics. Um, but it also does talk about you know, the, the, the challenges with the fire, the flood, and, and so on and so forth. But yeah, you, you do, um, you know, you do um, as I say, you do learn from these things. And one of the most important things that you learn is that you have to be flexible with the business. Quite often, you know, um, in business, you, you, you're told that you have to have a crisis management plan and, uh, you know, insurers and so on, you know, like to see the plan. When your building's burning down and you're standing outside, you, you can't resort to going to the filing cabinet or whatever and looking for that plan. It just doesn't work, you know, it just doesn't work like that. You never quite know how these things are going to affect you and you can't plan for these, these sorts of events. What's important is to have really good people alongside you mm. and people that are just determined to do anything it takes to make sure that the business can continue and and to be flexible, you know, if you if you just sort of, uh, you know, go off and sort of uh, sulk in the corner with your thumb in your mouth, sort of saying, "Hey, th- this isn't how life's meant to be," you're not going to come out of it. You've got to, you know, you've got to think with a clear head. And actually, crises often bring opportunities too, and mm. it's the good businesses. Um, that are the ones that can survive uh, through these uh, uncharted waters. Um, Because ultimately, you know, we're all in the same boat. We all have to face the same consequences. And, you know, the people that are flexible uh, and determined will come out of it stronger. And the ones that aren't, unfortunately, just won't survive it. 
You're absolutely right in that there are opportunities to come from this. It will breed resilience in those businesses that do come through. So there are some positives to take from what has been a quite difficult and a quite tragic time. But also that point as well about surrounding yourself with good people. Uh, it takes me to very nicely to a quote from Nelson Mandela, actually. Surround yourself with people who are better than you. One of the best pieces of advice I think you could possibly give to somebody looking to make it in a leadership role. And if we think about advice for a moment, Sir Lance, given your many years experience in running the business and also of crisis management, if you will. Um, If you were to actually advise somebody who was about to embark on their first day within a leadership role within a business, what advice would you give them? Well, listen, I think it's one of the most important things. You know, quite often when you're starting your own business or when you're running your own business, and particularly this is very typical of uh, smaller, you know, perhaps family-run, owner-managed businesses, you often think that as the business owner and the business leader, you know what's best and your ideas are best and uh, and so on. And, 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 and often, you know, people in those positions find it very, very difficult to delegate. Um, and actually, if you can get past that sort of mental block of, you know, how do I actually get somebody else to do this? And they might not do it in the way I want them to do it or the way I would do it. But once you get past that, not only do you empower other people and they rise uh, to the challenge and actually value the fact that you've given them that confidence, what you actually find is that doing stuff your way isn't always the best way. You know, it might be, but people do things in different ways. And sometimes you can get to the end result. Sometimes you can get to a better result by just having faith, you know, having faith in that, uh, in being able to delegate. Obviously, you've got to have good people around you to, you know, to delegate to and uh, people that uh, share your vision, I think, and uh, are responsible. You know, a vision is also a very, uh, very important thing. Um, but, uh, but, you know, in, in business, it, it, it's so much of it. It's, you know, it's about the people. You can have the best product. You can have the best service. You can have the best idea. But if you haven't that good, good people around you delivering it, it's just not going to go anywhere. I think that's incredibly sound advice indeed. And looking back through where uh, your career, Lance, of course, experience is so valuable when it comes to being galvanized and being inspired and influenced. But are there any people out there that you perhaps learned from or looked up to throughout your life and career that have maybe had an impact on you and influenced that sort of way of viewing leadership that you have? Um, you know what? I mean, I think my own my team here. Um, you know, just uh, just listening to the people that I work with has been inspiring. You know, I have some really great people, and um, you know, I, you know, I was forced into a position. In fact, it was the Olympics. It was the Olympic challenge that forced me to learn how to delegate. And sometimes you need to be forced. And it forced me because there was no way that I could fight for the survival of my business and run the business at the same time. And so I sort of made that sort of mental leap of faith and handed over a responsibility of the day-to-day running to my team. And, you know, it was the best thing I ever did. And once that sort of, you know, the three or four years that we fight, you know, we, we spent fighting for survival. Once we'd won that battle, we actually came back with a business that was much stronger. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I just think that, uh, yeah, my, my, my team have been uh, absolutely invaluable. And having reflected on the past just for a moment there, Lance, it's only right, of course, to focus on the future just before we do wrap things up on the uh, the programme. Um, as we move 
into sort of the next stage of the pandemic over the next 12 to 18 months and begin to adjust to the new normal that everybody's talking about and the challenges that that might bring. Um, what do you envision for yourself, Lance Foreman and H. Foreman and Son, and what do you hope to achieve as a business? So we've seen, you know, as you do in any crisis, doing change. And we don't know whether this change will be short term or long term, you know, permanent or, or not. But um, but we have to adapt to it. And before the, before COVID, half our business was supplying uh, restaurants, hotels and caterers, and the other half was supplying retailers. And when COVID broke out, suddenly, overnight, we lost 50% of our business. You know, all these restaurants were closing down and so on. We don't know how long it's going to be before they open up. Even if they're allowed to open, I'm not so sure that many of them will open until, you know, the very end of the year at the earliest. But... We also had a, um, a, a side business, a sideline business, which was doing home delivery uh, food products, the best of British food, it's called Foreman and Field, supplying food to people's homes around the country. Now, that business was always fairly quiet during the year, but went absolutely crazy at Christmas time. And what we did was focused all of our resources into developing that side of the business because ultimately people still have to eat. And if they can't eat at the restaurants, they will certainly want to eat at home. And that's how we adapted. And what I think is that certainly in the the, the near, maybe certainly immediate future, we think that might be a trend uh, that we're starting to see. People will have much more confidence dining at home with their friends than they will sitting in restaurants, you know, next to strangers and and all the risks that that entails. So what we said, our, our view for now is that dining in will be the, the, the you know the the, the 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 new form of dining out, and uh, dinner parties will be back back in vogue, vogue and. And home delivery has been a huge thing now. You know, people have, you know, it's been growing all the time, but COVID has really given people much more confidence to to, to shop online. And, you know, we don't see that trend uh, reversing uh, anytime soon. Certainly going to be interesting times, um, especially with regards to the impact um, on our working practices, uh, for sure. And, you know, it's one thing, of course, speculating about what might come in the future. And it's another thing, actually, looking back and assessing exactly what has happened. And, you know, Lance, given how informative it's been having you join us today, I think it would be fantastic to catch up in future from a listener's perspective, just to see exactly what does change in the uh, the next few months. Well, always a pleasure to uh, to come back and uh, to review things. Yeah, it will be it will be interesting. I think you know, I think there'll be some really you know good positive changes. I think people might be working from home a little bit more than they have been, which will save their time uh, commuting, which is uh, uh, completely uh, wasted time, and it might make people more efficient. So I think you know, and it, and it, what we might actually see is people starting to move further out of London, which again will I think enhance people's lifestyles. You know, um, so there could be all sorts of benefits that come out of this. And, uh, you know, again, in any crisis, one has to look uh, at opportunities, too. And we should be doing this as a nation, uh, as well as looking at it uh, from our own personal or business perspective. Absolutely right. Um, Lance, it's been an incredible pleasure having you uh, join us on the uh, the programme today. And until we do speak again in future, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on. Because even though we see things returning to some form of normality, we're certainly not out of the woods with this one yet, that's for sure. Thank you very much.
That was Lance Foreman speaking, director of H. Foreman and Son. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. During his professional career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition after his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with Sir Jeff, and that is coming up next. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup Final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me, realise that I did. Uh, score nothing for Essex, uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time being stuck between the two sports and I think uh, for those that uh, don't know there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer but um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in when you were at West Ham uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him, and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years. I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did again mm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters 
who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge when it came to managing that England team what was his style like Jeff well one thing the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person um, mm. naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time maybe overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learnt over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly... Um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising they were not. 
there was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing. And I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay, he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important, to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were a very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? 
And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you too. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can think, tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard of somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh, if you laugh If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that occurred to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now quite frankly that's a new a new question mm. does anybody look up to me I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you 
as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current player, as you mean. Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding, I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is, is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, That's a they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we we're successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. 
And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just... Uh, refresh my my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with excellent Uh, another time uh, it would be great to talk again Thank, thank you Jonathan thank you this has been the Leaders Council podcast thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us I've been your host Scott Chaloner until next time goodbye thank you for listening to our podcast the views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.